Hello and welcome back to the podcast. The Sermon on the Mount represents one of Jesus' most powerful and probably influential blocks of teaching that still challenges the reader just as much today as it would have 2,000 years ago. So we're going to take the next several weeks to methodically unpack Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we'd like to invite you to join us on that journey. If you have any more questions about the Traders Point Church of Christ, please visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube as well. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us this week. We are continuing and ending, really, our study through the Sermon on the Mount today. We're going to finish up chapter 7. Uh, We've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while now and are at the very end. So we're going to discuss how Jesus concludes his teaching here in Matthew chapter 7. But before we do that, uh, Jeremy, why don't you give us some context and kind of bring us up to speed to where we are today? Yeah, I mean, as you made mention, we're really at the very end of, uh, of this really incredible sermon. We've made mention, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it, you know, sometimes you break up you know, a study like this, and you lose sight of probably Jesus giving this teaching at at one setting. That's certainly how it's given to us here in the book of Matthew. And uh, and he's been uh, in a lot of different places, and and he's had a lot of very difficult things, you know, to say, certainly for the audience that he would have had about uh, the heart, a lot of things about the heart in a lot of ways, that that is what God is interested in. And what's really interesting here about the text that we'll conclude with is he really is ramping up to you choose. I mean, that ultimately is what it comes down to, is you have everything out in front of you, and now there's a choice that needs to be made. And, you know, for you and I, both of us are preachers, you know, it's really interesting to study and to go through this sermon as a sermon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we've talked about the really significant introduction that was there. The, it was set up perfectly, of yeah. course, and the, the middle section, the body, um, it had everything and contained everything that was needed to be there. And of course, again, not surprising, but the close of this is picture perfect mm-hmm. in every way. And, you know, and, you know, just to think about Jesus and the authority with which he speaks with, but as the master teacher in a lot of ways. And that really comes uh, full circle here at the very end of this sermon. It does. So let's go ahead and, and read the end of this together, and then we'll dive into it a little more deeply. So we left off in verse number 15 last week. So we'll pick up there and read to the end of the chapter. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So, Jeremy, you mentioned just in your recap there that the conclusion of this sermon is, is certainly powerful, and it really makes the point that Jesus has been driving toward throughout the entirety of this sermon, which is he's wanting each of us to focus on ourselves, to focus on our hearts, to focus on what's going on inside, and then to make a choice about what we're going to do with all of that. And that is really where Jesus concludes his teaching is, as you pointed out, you've got a choice to make. You have to decide what you're going to do with this moving forward. He gives them some warnings, some things to watch out for, and then he lays it at their feet. And he allows them and he allows us to decide what we're going to do with everything that he had said over the past several chapters. Yeah, in a lot of ways, he's alluding back to some of the things that he talked about in really chapters 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, you know, kind of in a lot of ways, you know, to kind of remind them of the, the, the origination of everything is the heart and, and to really remind them in a couple of different ways, really with a, a good parable, you know, at the very mm-hmm. end for sure. Mm-hmm. But it, it is the point that you, you can't fake it and you can't hide from it, right? You can't do any of those things. And, you know, maybe you can do that with man, you know, that you can fake it with man or you can, you can hide things from man. But ultimately, you cannot fake it or you cannot hide it from God. And that, in a lot of ways, is the point that, you know, that he kind of closes with here because I think he's dealing with a lot of people. We've made mention. I mean, there are scribes, there are Pharisees, you know, in the in the audience, and he's been talking directly about, and they've yep. been living their life this way in a lot of ways, and, and that's the example that they're that they're leaving. And and Jesus wants them to understand: you can't. When it comes to God, you've got to make a decision. It's got to be a decision that's true, and it's got to be a decision from the heart. It's not about faking it or about looking good. That doesn't work. It has to be sincere. And these last kind of stories that he closes with all point to that directive. Yeah, the, the simplicity of what he says there in verses 15 through 20, it, it seems very obvious, but in, in reality, there are today, and clearly there were then, a lot of people pretending to be followers of Jesus, pretending to be teachers of morality, pretending to be uh, people who offer good things to the community and good things to the individual, and, and yet they are, as Jesus describes here, they are in, they are just wearing the sheep's clothing. They're not really, uh, uh, any, they're not really a good person. They're not really there to benefit anyone. They are inwardly a ravenous wolf. And and the way that you distinguish between those who are truly trying to do good, truly trying to teach the gospel, truly trying to help their brother, is not by what they say, because you can say whatever you want. It's by the fruit that you produce. What comes from it? And I think when you look at the Pharisees that you mentioned that are standing around, what has come from what they have done over the past few generations? 
Well, they've grown in power. They've grown in wealth. They've grown in influence. But has godliness spread? Has the truth spread? No. In fact, the exact opposite has happened. Jesus comes on the scene, and nobody's ready for him because the truth of the prophecies that have been given in regards to Christ hadn't been taught appropriately. People didn't understand the teachings of the Old Testament. And the ones who were supposed to be full of knowledge and ready to help people as Jesus ushers in the new covenant, they dropped the ball on it. And so don't listen to what they say. Look at what they've done. Look at the fruit that has come from their teaching, from their influence. And you can clearly see what, where they are and who they are. And the same is true today. I can get up and say anything I want. You can get up there and say anything you want. But one of the responsibilities that we have as preachers and one of the responsibilities that every Christian has is not just to say the right things, but to live a life that produces good fruit. To live a life that showcases it's not just words, but this is who we are. This is the way we live. This is how we treat one another. Those are the things that really showcase who we are on the inside. And again, going back to what we said at the very outset, and that's what this entire sermon is about, what's on the inside. So that's why Jesus is highlighting this again right here at the very end. And he uses really strong language. I mean, he uses the word cannot, right? I mean, it just simply can't happen. If you have a bad inside you then cannot have a good outside or, you know, if you have a, you know, you just simply can't have those things. And so, you know, the point that he continues to make is, he used the word simplistic, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, a, a huge portion, if not really all of these three chapters, it, it is very simplistic in its approach. Mm-hmm. It, it is about, listen, you love God, you put him and you put others first, and you really focus in on that, and everything else kind of takes care of itself. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the point that he's making here at the very end, that you know, if you are where you need to be on the inside, and you are focused on God and God alone, that's a huge part of what chapter 6 is all about. Mm-hmm. You put him first and his his things as your priority. Everything else is going to take care of itself. And and he he makes the point. It, it then it it doesn't make a difference what man or what people think. God is the one that he ultimately knows what's on the inside. And and again, you can't fake it and you can't hide it from God because he ultimately knows what's going on. And that really is what leads you into, you know, 21, 22, and 23. Mm -hmm. It it probably, with the audience that's here, I mean, some of the more scathing things, Mm -hmm. you know, that Jesus would have said out loud. I mean, certainly you have the, you know, the hypocrites that you'll get a little bit later on in this book. But I mean, this is harsh, yeah. Uh, point that he makes, and you know he's certainly right to make it, and it is it hammers here at the very end of this sermon. Yeah, it, it's it is hard to read even today, mm-hmm. not being there looking at the Messiah as he says it as he says it. Yeah. Uh, but even two thousand years later, to read those words, it makes you stop in your tracks and think. I, I want to do everything I can to make sure I'm not this person. I'm not the person that's saying, Lord, Lord, and I'm doing all these things, and I'm just going through the motions, and on the outside, it all looks great. Yep. But then one day, I'm going to realize the heart wasn't there, the heart where it wasn't, needs to, where it wasn't supposed to be. And, and it should make all of us just stop and give consideration to what Jesus is saying. I think it's easy, as I read this, to, to read that and say, well, he's just talking about the Pharisees. And certainly, they would be in that category. 
but he's not just talking about the Pharisees. No. There's a, there's a lot of people that play religion, and there's a lot of people that played religion back then. There's a lot of people that play religion today, and, and we've got to be sure that that's not what we're doing. We're not we're not coming to worship on Sunday mornings just because that's what we do or that's what our parents have done or we're not we're not doing that just because of the social atmosphere that exists and it looks good in the community for me to be a part of a church family that we got if that even if those thoughts even enter our minds we've got to get rid of them because that's exactly what he's warning against here are the kinds of people who are just going through the motions but aren't really living it. They don't really own it. And we've got to be on guard against that every single day. Yeah, I mean, the power that he has there is given to us in verse 23. I mean, he, he lets you know exactly what this equates to. That you know, Again, from the outside, people would be looking at these types of folks, the ones that are made mention of in, in 21 and 22, that are outwardly yelling out, I love God, outwardly yelling out, uh, I glorify God, that are doing good things, that are even casting out demons, right? I mean, he, he, they're doing all these wonderful things. and um, But he says, well, because your heart isn't where it needs to be, think about what, how he equates that, verse 23. Number one, I, I don't even know who you are, right? It's not that you know, we we are our relationship is is hurt in some way. I, I don't even know who you are. And of course, the very end of that verse that is lawlessness. That is sin in every way. And, and he's like, we're not here to sugarcoat it. We're not here to make it sound better than some other things. It is outright sin. And my relationship with uh, someone in that category is severed in every way. And, and you are exactly right. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's so many great applications in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, to today and the religious uh, atmosphere today. And maybe this is the greatest one of them all because th- there are still lots and lots and lots of people that are screaming, uh, I love Jesus, I love God, but are not living for him in in every way. And uh, listen, we're on the heels of him just making the point. Uh, Those that will ultimately come to me and be with me are very few. It is a narrow, narrow path. And there will be a lot of people, a lot of people going exactly where we have right here in 21 through 23. Yeah, and he he helps us discover how we go about following Jesus. And it's not just the words that come out of our mouth, but it's what we do. And it's the obedience that he's going to point to Mm -hmm. as he gets down into this last section. And I think it's, it's really telling that as you read, you know, the, the story of, of the two houses that are being built, you know, it's a, it's a story that all of our kids know. They sing a song about it and it's really cute. And it's a, it's a great little story. This story is is anything but cute yeah. when you when you get down to it. But what's interesting about the people that he's telling the story in regards to is that both of them have heard the gospel. Both of them have heard what Jesus has taught. That's not what's being discussed. It's what they do with what they've heard. And so when you think about the again the religious atmosphere, the religious culture today, the Bible and its teachings are extremely prevalent, mm-hmm. especially yeah, in the United States. It's everywhere. It, it's the most sold book in all of history. It is everywhere. It's been translated into all kinds of languages. It is readily available at everyone's fingertips. That's not the issue. 
It's what are you going to do with it? What do you do with it? And that's, that's the story that Jesus is telling as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. And again, we can look at the setting and see just how applicable it was there. He's talking to all of these people who've just heard it. They just heard his teachings. All of them did. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? That's, what, that's the challenge that he gives to them as they leave and go about their daily lives from this point on. You've heard what I have to say. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to truly love me? That's what, he'll, that's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. So it's not if you love me, say, Lord, Lord, and call on my name all the time. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for you to live it, do it. And so that's the, that's the challenge that he's putting in front of everyone as they leave this setting on the mountain is, what are you going to do with what I've just told you? And that's, again, that's what all of us should be thinking every time we open the Bible. We read it. What are we going to do with what we just read? Yeah, and you know, this you know, short little parable, and that's what it is that he closes this sermon with, is so very easy to visualize, right? Mm-hmm. And you have that great contrast of the wise and the foolish. I mean, you see that in, in a lot of places in Scripture in a lot of ways. And, you know, it, it, it sets it up into a position where you're like, well, I, I want to be the wise one. I don't want to be the foolish one. And the wise one makes sense. He's building his house on a rock, right? Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. The foolish one makes no sense. He's building his house on the sand. And so we, we think about the physical you know, examples that are given, and those things make perfect sense. But then when he equates it, as you said, to the one who hears and follows through, he reacts and acts upon what I have to say. That's the one who's building his house on the rock. But if you if you if you don't react in a positive way, mm-hmm. um, if you run from or you hide or you try to mar or take less of or just a few of what I have to say, it, it is the foolishness of building your house on the sand. And so mm-hmm. it, these people were able to hear these things, and, and, it, and it makes perfect sense, but now you are confronted at the very, very end. You are confronted with that. Are you going to, where are you building your house? That ultimately is the question that Jesus ends mm-hmm. with, right? Where are you going to build your house? You can build it on the rock. Mm-hmm. You have every, all of that in front of you. You can build it on the sand. Mm-hmm. You have all of that in front of you. And, and you're exactly right. The application for us is the same. We all have God's Word, the completeness of God's Word. And we can read it. We can study it. We can learn from it. And that same question is there. Where are we going to build our house? We're going to build it on the rock? like the wise person does? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to build it on the sand like the foolish person does? And it is a question that Jesus closes with. Hey, where, where are you going to build your yeah. house? You know, there, we've probably all seen, there's very real-world examples of this. I remember being on a, on a beach in southern Florida, and you're right on the water, and there are some beautiful homes that are literally built right on the water, and they're up on stilts, you know, so they're higher up in, in the air. And, I mean, they're beautiful They're beautiful homes. But I've also seen pictures when a hurricane comes through, and those homes are just gone. I mean, you can't even tell that they were there before. The storm just completely decimated them. And you can look at that, and you can say, while that home stood, it provided temporary happiness, and it was very pretty, and it was a fun place to vacation, but when the storm came, it didn't stand a chance. And and that, that real-world-in-your-face example is exactly what Jesus is, is describing here. A life built on the sand 
It can provide some temporary happiness. It can provide some temporary comfort. It can provide some temporary joy. But listen, the storms come, and you better hope that that's not where your house is built because it doesn't stand a chance. We need to be built on something much stronger, much more firm, and that is the teachings of Christ. And it's that type of teaching that is so just so wise in the way that Christ presents it, I think, that leads the people to, in verse number 29, or verse 28 and 29, to just be astonished mm-hmm. at what they had just heard. Again, it sounds so simple, and yet the way that he's able to present it, it teaches such deep, meaningful application that everyone walks away thinking, wow, this guy, there is something special about this guy. He teaches in a way that I have never heard before. And and ultimately, as we see here in verse 29, he was one that taught with authority, not as the scribes. And so they're drawing the the contrast between the way that Jesus teaches and the way that they have so prevalently heard the scribes and the Pharisees do so. Yeah, I mean, the scribes, they have some authority. I mean, the Pharisees had some authority. But, you know, as Jesus has really showcased throughout this sermon, as he will continue to do throughout his ministry, I mean, their concern was just simply for themselves in every way. That's mm-hmm. what their concern was. But the power between Jesus and and them and, and certainly his teaching, you see this even in the story that we've been talking about from 24 through 27. Uh, of you know of of building your house on the rock where there is safety where there is comfort sure he he teaches with authority mm-hmm. because he's god and so he has an, every right that there is to tell his creation what he desires right that's what that's, his, right. that's what his right is and and he will do that but at the same time it is also with the understanding of what is best for man. Even in that final picture, it's still what is best. When the winds come and the rains blow and they beat on that house, comfort, shelter, uh, provision is still there, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have Jesus, and he teaches with authority, but at the same time, he teaches with care and compassion Mm -hmm. and love and um, it is that is in stark contrast to the scribes and Pharisees. Yeah, it really is. And I, you know, I know we spent the past several weeks diving into the Sermon on the Mount. I feel like you could almost just go back and start over and just continue to make more and more application from this teaching. It's such a powerful, such a powerful sermon that Jesus presents, and no, it's no wonder that it's one that continues to be a prominent. Uh, teaching today and one that is studied time and time again. And I hope that as we've studied through it, hopefully there has been some light shown on some of these things that have helped you. And we certainly appreciate you all joining us for our study through this. So we'll be back next week. We're going to begin a new topic of discussion. We'll have some more to say about that later. Uh, But we want to thank you all for your time as we studied through the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll talk to you next week.